This is the last week for this class. We're finishing up 1 Timothy today. And there's a uh, announcement in the bulletin about what's happening starting next week for Sunday school, okay? And so if you have a bulletin, you can check that out. There's a description of it. Uh, I will be your God, exploring God's covenants is the class, so I'll be teaching that. And I'm excited about that. So now you know what's happening. All right, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be with us and uh, use this passage in your word, uh, not just as an interesting uh, object to look at and think about, but as what it truly is, the word of God, living and active and sharp, that changes us and sanctifies us and gives us strength and power. Please help us, Father, and, and draw near to us through your word in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well today, as I said, we're gonna finish 1 Timothy. And uh, the, the passage, the end of the letter that we're looking at today, there's gonna be a little bit of overlap from what um, uh, Joe Helt did last week. And he spent a lot of time on the first part of that passage that we looked at last week and did an excellent job talking about contentment and greed and money, very excellent. And um, so I'm gonna kind of pick up with the second half of that that he looked at last week, but I'm gonna say some different things and then move on and finish the book. So really, if, what the, the verses we're gonna look at today breaks down into three sections, and we'll see that as we read through it. Um, as I've uh, kind of tended to do throughout this, I'm gonna spend the majority of our time in the first section, just because when I, when I sit down to, to come up with these lessons and think about the passage, that's the first thing I start thinking about, so that ends up filling my time. Sorry. So we'll kind of buzz through the, the, the two, the second two. Um, but this first section really teaches us uh, about how to pursue godliness. So I think it's gonna be good for us to slow down and look at. So here it is. We are in chapter six, starting in verse 11. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and perseverance, or perseverance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion, amen. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. 
O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. So that's the passage. Now last week, uh, Joe covered these verses up in verses nine and 10. And I'm gonna read that because that sets up where we're going today. But I want, but he says in, in uh, verse nine, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. If you, didn't, if you weren't here last Sunday, uh, I encourage you to listen to Joe's teaching from that. It was excellent. And then the Apostle Paul says this, but flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and perseverance. I'm sorry, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Keep forgetting that last one. I wonder what that tells you about me. Uh, <laughs> so think about this. This is the only way to grow in our sanctification and our holiness. It's never one-sided. He says, flee and pursue. Flee and pursue, right? Never one-sided. It's never just negative, so just stop, the, stop doing that. And it's never just positive, start doing that. It is always both flee and pursue. You're running away from something, you're running and chasing down something else. That word pursue um, is, is, is a word that is also used in different contexts for persecute, like, like run down, you know. It's, it's intense. It's not just kind of aimlessly follow, but pursue, chase down, and grab a hold of, right? So it's active, flee, flee one set of things, chase after something else. And we'll only grow and change and become more and more like Jesus Christ if we do both. We have to run away from one thing, run towards something else. You have to replace the bad with something good. It never works if you just try real hard not to do something. I think all of us can relate to that. It never works just to try real hard not to do something. You have to have something else to replace it with or else it doesn't work. God knows this and he tells us this all the time. So for example, look at, this is Ephesians 4 <clears throat> and it's a long passage, 17 to 22. Um, actually, I think it's 17 to, yeah, 32. That's what that says. And so it's a long passage, and I want to read it to you, and you'll see this over and over and over again. All right, so watch, look at this. The, the Apostle Paul says, so this I say, and affirm together with the Lord that you no longer, so that's the negative, that's the thing to stop, right? No longer, you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. So stop living like that. 
Then he says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So put off the old man, be renewed, put on the new man. Stop living like you used to live. You didn't learn to live like that from Jesus, right? Start living like this. Run away, pursue. Then he gets very practical and detailed about what he means. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, that's the run away from, that's the negative, lay it, lay it aside, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor. He doesn't just say, stop lying, right? He doesn't just say, start telling the truth. He says, stop lying and start telling the truth. For we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer. Period? No. You're not done stealing until you do the rest, right? He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor. Performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. That's when a thief actually stops being a thief. It's not when he just hasn't stolen for, for the last six months, right? But he, instead of stealing, he works. And he works so much that he has more than he needs so that he has enough to share and give away. That's when the man is no longer a thief. He goes on. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. That's the negative. But only such a word is as good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. So you, you, it doesn't work just to say, oh, I'm not gonna say that. You, you have to then say, oh, what am I gonna say, right? Flee and pursue, Lay, put off, put on. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And here he goes again. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Is that it? No. Instead of that, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So do you see this? It's, it's always both. This is how real progress, this is how we actually grow, this is how we actually change. It's always both. Stop this, start that. It's always flee and pursue. Flee and pursue. Um, you, you can't just create a vacuum by stopping one thing. You have to then start the opposite, all right? I believe that a whole lot of our stumbling and groping along in our sanctification is due to this, that we try real hard to stop something, but give no effort to start something else. 
So we're focused on the negative. I've got to stop this. I've got to stop this. I can't do that. I can't look at that. I can't listen to that. I can't think like that. I can't talk like that. I can't do that. But we're not giving any effort to the positive, right? The thing we actually have to do, the thing we replace it with. So think of your typical sins. Think of our typical sins. Laziness, lust, envy, anger, discontent, lying. You know, take your pick. You know yourself, I hope, right? Think about your particular sins. It's very difficult to simply try to stop. You have to replace. So think about this, are you lazy? Is that something you struggle with? Well, how do, you, how do you deal with that? You have to actually get up and work, right? Uh, regardless of how you feel, even when, and especially when you don't feel like it, you have to actually get up and do it. You don't fight laziness by just sitting there thinking, oh, I've gotta stop being lazy. You know, you gotta get up and do something. Are you filled with lust and looking at pornography? You don't fix that just by trying not to look at that, right? You have to stop looking at that, but you also have to then turn your heart and your affections and your eyes on something else. You have to turn away from that corruption and actively pursue purity, godliness, not just what you don't do, but what you do. Or think about discontentment and envy and bitterness. How do you fight discontent, envy, and bitterness? Not just by gritting your teeth, trying real hard to stop. You have to train your heart, right, in the right direction. Gratitude, contentment, joy, We're not made to be neutral. There is, you can't just stop doing the bad thing. You have to stop doing the bad thing by starting to do the good thing. Does that make sense? It's always both, always both. If all your energy and effort go into the negative, the stopping, what will happen? You'll always fall on your face. You just, you will, you'll always fall on your face. It's like, um, you know, the old line about uh, uh, try real hard not to think of the pink elephant. <laughs> right? Try real hard. Try, try real hard to stop thinking about the pink elephant. If all your effort is into, the, into trying to stop to think about something, guess what you're doing? You're thinking about it. <laughs> well, yeah, but you're weird. <laughs> but now none of us can stop thinking about a green dragon, so there you go. So you have to replace it with some, does that make sense? It's not, you can't just, we're not wired that way. You can't just stop thinking about something by trying real hard not to think about it. You have to pursue something else, replace it with something else. And so 
the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, flee these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Now, what, what things? Flee what things? Well, it's back in the verses before this. We're not going to read them all, but I'll list them for you, okay? Back in verses 3 to 10, right before this, here's what he's been talking about. He's mentioned bad doctrine, conceit, ignorance, a morbid interest in controversial questions, disputes about words, envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction, greed, discontent, the love of money, many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction, and wandering from the faith. That's all that he's mentioned up to, these, up to this command here in verse 11. That's a lot to flee from. <laughs> it's quite the list. But again, if Timothy is only fleeing, he won't actually get away. He has to, in order to really flee those things, he has to be pursuing something else. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. You see how those are all the opposites of the things he's just talked about. All of, they're, they're the opposites of that whole list of the things he's been talking about. And you have to turn away from that stuff and pursue these things. He says the same thing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 22. Where he says this, now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. All right? Flee youthful us. Turn away from those. And I think a lot of us men and young men are constantly, you know, have that in mind. I've got to flee from youthful us. I've got to flee from youthful us. But we're not turning and pursuing righteousness, faith, love, peace. We're just trying real hard not to do that but we're not actively pursuing these other things and therefore we will always fall on our face. Notice here, this is interesting, just a side note. Flee youthful us, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You see that? The work of fleeing and pursuing is better done with companions who are doing the same thing. You can't do this alone. That's why you need to surround yourself with people who are doing this. You fight against your sins. I'm thinking of the young people. It's true of us older folk too, but I'm thinking of the the younger crowd. And you're, you're around people who are not helping you. And when you're together, you're not helping them. And you might try to not do certain things or say certain things or watch certain things or whatever, but are you, are you pursuing righteousness, 
peace, love, faith, godliness. Um, Those things you don't just find lying around. (laughs) You have to chase them down. You have to pursue them. Now, in verse 12, so back in chapter, 1 Timothy 6, 12. He keeps pushing Timothy with these positive, active commands. So flee these things, pursue these things, and then he says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You won't make progress if you don't both flee and pursue, and you won't also make progress unless you fight. Fight. You won't even stand if you don't fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Remember from um, Andy's sermon from this last Sunday, Luke 13, 24, our Lord Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter, will not be able. Strive, fight, exert yourself. This is something that this, this, act, this active pursuit, this active struggle, this active fight for godliness is something that uh, Paul has talked about already in 1 Timothy back in chapter four. <clears throat> Remember this, verse, chapter four, verse seven? He says to Timothy, have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, and there's that negative positive thing again, have nothing to do with that. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Fight the good fight of faith. Strive to enter by the narrow door. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, for it is for this we what? labor and strive. It is for this. What, what is the this? Godliness, all right? It is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of believers. Now notice, look at that. This is a striving from faith. It is the good fight of faith. It's a good fight that comes from faith. It's not a striving to receive faith, not a striving to earn some merit or work yourself up to faith. He says right here, for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God. Do you see that? We labor and strive because we have fixed our hope. That's what enables us to labor and strive. That's what motivates us and empowers us to labor and strive. It's the fact that we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the savior of all men. He says in 1 Timothy 1.5, way back at the beginning, but the goal of our instruction is love from, and love is obedience to God's commands, we know that, from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Excuse me. 
This obedience, the, the ability to fight, the ability to strive, the ability to work, the ability to obey comes from what? According to 1 Timothy 1.5, it comes from faith. Galatians, he says the same thing, Galatians 5.6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. Faith working through love. Faith works. It works. What does that work look like? It looks like love. What is love? Love is obedience to God's commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Faith is the engine behind our ability to fight. That's why he calls it the good fight of faith. The good fight that comes from faith. All right? Now there's a theologian, <clears throat> a well-known reformed theologian. I wanna call him Louis, but I'm sure it's probably Louis. Louis Burkhoff, doesn't sound very dignified. Louis, here's what he says, look at this. This is from his systematic theology book. He says, it deserves particular attention that while even the weakest faith mediates a perfect justification, the degree of sanctification is commensurate with the strength of the Christian's faith and the persistence with which he apprehends Christ. Now what does that mean? How much faith, <clears throat> there's a difference between justification and sanctification, all right? Justification is when God because of the work of Christ, and Jesus fully obeyed the law, he, he, he met all the precepts of the law, right? Which means he's the only one who ever did not deserve to die. So he meets, meets fulfills the precepts of the law, and then he also uh, meets the penalty, which is death for those who don't keep the law. So perfect obedience to the law, perfect obedience to the penalty of the law, even though he didn't deserve it. And God looks at that work of Christ and applies it to everyone, credits it to everyone who has faith in Jesus. That's justification. Forgiveness of sins, all of your sins. Crediting to your account the righteousness of Christ. So when he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ as far as the law is concerned, right? That's, that's justification. What kind of faith um, does it take to get that, to be justified? How strong does your faith have to be? What does Burkhoff say? The weakest faith. Why? He's right, why? Is, does, is justification a reward for your wonderful faith. No, it's not a reward for your faith. Okay? It's a, it has to do with Jesus and his righteousness, righteousness, not you and yours. Does this make sense? Little children, little children. That's the model for faith, right? Little children. We're not talking about great depths of faith that somehow merit for you 
a really great justification. The littlest faith merits, doesn't merit, that's exactly the wrong word, mediates. So, it deserves particular attention that while even the weakest faith mediates a perfect justification, there is no such thing as, you know, 50% justified, 69%, 98%. That's the Roman Catholic doctrine. You're as, you are as justified as you are sanctified. So it's a constant moving, you know, gauge. You're only as justified as you are sanctified. That's Roman Catholicism. That's wrong. Perfect justification. Okay, everyone got that? Andy? All right, all right. <clears throat> He's our resident Presbyterian. <laughs> so, it deserves particular attention that while even the weakest faith mediates a perfect justification, on the other hand, right, the degree of sanctification, what is sanctification? It is our actual obedience. It is our actually being transformed, it's a, prog- a process, into the image of Christ in our actual life. Not how God credits his Christ's righteousness to us, but how he actually works in us to make us more obedient than we were throughout the work of, throughout our life. What's that? Yeah. It's God, so this justification is God's work for you, outside of you. Sanctification is the Holy Spirit's work in you big difference, all right? So here's what he says. The degree of sanctification is commensurate with, it equals the strength of the Christian's faith and the persistence with which he apprehends Christ. In other words, weak, shallow faith in a Christian who is truly justified perfectly, right? But weak, shallow faith will produce weak, shallow Christians with weak, shallow holiness, Does that make sense? We're not talking about justification. We're talking about sanctification, your ability to flee and pursue, your ability to fight the good fight grows with your faith. And so we must flee youthful lust, flee greed, flee ungodliness, flee discontentment and envy, and we must pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And we do that work, we fight that fight by faith. Now, what's the connection between faith and holiness? What's the connection between faith and obedience, faith and sanctification? The link between faith and sanctification is what? Magic? What is it? It's the Holy Spirit, okay? Romans 8, so then brethren, we're under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live, right? Now the Lord, 2 Corinthians, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, but we all with unveiled face beholding as as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed, that's the process of sanctification, into the same image, image of Jesus, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. This comes through the power of the Spirit. 
The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Back in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36, the promise of what will happen in the new covenant God says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and what? Cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's the process of sanctification. And so clearly there's no progressive sanctification, no obedience to God's commands without the transforming, enabling, strengthening, purifying power of the Holy Spirit. All right, you with me? That comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we gain access to the power of the Holy Spirit for sanctification? By faith. That's right. Galatians 3, 5. So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? What's the answer? By hearing with faith. Okay. Galatians 3, 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. As your faith increases, the experience of the Holy Spirit's power increases. And as the experience of the Holy Spirit's power increases, true, loving, joyful, evangelical obedience increases. By evangelical obedience, I mean the obedience that comes out of the gospel. It comes out of the fact that you're justified. All right? So, Timothy says to the Apostle Paul, back to 1 Timothy 6. I'm sorry, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. This is not let go and let God, right? So when we talk about faith being the the power for sanctification through the Holy Spirit, okay? This is not let go and let God. This is not be passive. This is not stop striving and just let go and let God. There is a view, a passive view of faith that, it, that tries to exempt us from working, laboring, fighting, running, obeying the moral law, or actively putting sin to death. And that is completely false. Faith enables us to work, labor, fight, and obey. It doesn't exempt us from it. It is what empowers us to do it. And remember what he said in Romans 8, if, by, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. This is not optional, you know. 
there is an active pursuit, an active labor, a work, a fighting, an obedience that is, comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and our faith enables us to have that power. So, flee, pursue, fight the good fight of faith. That is the, that is the picture of sanctification that God gives us, all right? It's not just negative, it's negative and positive. It's flee and pursue. It's not just positive, it's negative and positive. And it's a fight that calls for energy, effort, strength, sweat, tears, blood, right? Remember what Hebrew says, you have not yet resisted uh, in your fight against sin to the point of shedding blood, <laughs> right? Remember that? Fight the good fight of faith. Now, we gotta move. Next verse, verse 13 through 16, here's what he does. He charges Timothy to keep the commandment without stain or reproach. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion, amen. Now I believe that the commandment that Timothy is to keep, right, I charge you that you keep the commandment, the commandment that he is to keep is all the instructions that Paul has given to Timothy about his office, all the particulars of his commission, right? So in other words, Timothy, I charge you to do everything I told you to do. He's at the end of the letter, he's saying, look, Timothy, I've told you to do a lot. Do it. And he calls down all the weight of high heaven, all the weight of God himself onto this charge. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach. What is the good confession that Jesus testified before Pontius Pilate? Well, you remember how earlier in the letter he quoted, the Apostle Paul actually quoted directly from the Gospel of Luke, remember that? He actually quoted verbatim back when he was talking about money and paying pastors and all that stuff. Quoted directly from Luke. So I'm gonna make an educated guess about what Paul's thinking. I think he's thinking about something from Luke. Pure guess. But Luke was his friend, he traveled with him. You know what I'm saying? He didn't see these things, he's learning it from Luke. Here's what Luke says. When Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate, about to be crucified, then the whole body of them, that's the Sanhedrin, got up and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. Lie. 
and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So Pilate asked him saying, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him said, it is as you say. Yep. I'm the king. What's that? That's a good way to get himself crucified, yep. Jesus is the king of the Jews. And Timothy says that God the Father, let's go back, look, is the blessed and only sovereign, blessed, what does blessed mean? It doesn't mean just happy, but let me tell you, it doesn't mean less than happy. Okay? He is happy. <laughs> the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Think about this. He alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see. To him alone belong honor and eternal dominion. Timothy, do your duty. Don't be afraid. Fight the good fight of faith. Hold steady. Don't let anyone or anything push you off course. Why? Because there's a God in heaven. And he's not bothered. He's happy. In fact, when all the nations rise up to try to destroy his rule and authority, what does he do? What's he do? He laughs. He is the king over all kings, the Lord over all lords, and his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, will come again to judge the living and the dead. Timothy, do your work and do it well. Don't let anything shake you off from this. All the threats. What are they gonna do? Our God is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the only sovereign. He's the provost over provosts, if you get my meaning. All right, gotta be done. I told you, this is a lick and a promise. Instruct those who are present in the present, or rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of what is life indeed. This is just really a boiled down version of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. We don't have time to read it. Right? Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, what you're going to, right? Per seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Don't lay up treasure for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy. Lay up treasure for yourself in heaven. That's just, that's what he's saying. And so if you're rich, here's what you do. Don't be proud, don't be conceited. This came from God. God gives us all things richly to enjoy. Now notice, he gives us all things richly to enjoy. Right? He made the world and he made it good. But take what he has given you if you're rich and be generous and ready to share. 
Last, last verse or two. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what's falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and gone and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. What has been entrusted to Timothy? Well, the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the work of the ministry. And so he says, if you don't guard it, Timothy, you will fall away just like those wolves in Ephesus that you're there trying to shut down. Guard it. Don't drift. You'll be drawn away by the flattering false fads of so-called knowledge. And you'll go astray from the faith. This is absolutely applicable to us today. Fads, the latest thing, the latest idea, guard against that. It's fake and run. Okay, bottom line, that's not, there we go. Here's the bottom line, grace be with you. Okay, after all that, after all that, here's the bottom line, Timothy, Your only hope is the grace of God, so grace be with you. Grace is, is not just a feeling that God has, it is. I mean, it's a disposition in God, but it's also power to do what he's called us to do. And that's for us as well. All right? Well, as always, over time, gotta stop. Looking forward to the class starting next week on, on the covenants in the Bible, so... I hope that'll be really helpful to us. Let's pray. Father, would you please help us? Help us to fight the good fight of faith. Help us not to be passive, to wait to be zapped somehow from heaven so that all of our work and all of our uh, fighting against sin just becomes easy or makes it so we don't even have to do it. Please, Father, strengthen our faith. We believe, help our unbelief, and make our faith strong so that we can fight. Thank you for this book. I pray that it would shape us, our church, and our families and, our, and ourselves, our lives. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.